Hey guys, welcome back to The Jig Is Up. I hope everybody's having a great week. My name's Darcy, and normally joining me is Jason, but tonight he is dealing with a situation where he's got a leaking basement tonight. So our our thoughts are with you, Jason, and, and we're there with you in solidarity, buddy. You fight that good fight, um, and we'll see you again next week. He'll be back, I'm sure. So it's going to be me ranting here tonight alone, all by myself. Hope you guys don't mind. Hope you put up with me till the end of the episode. Um... I want to start off by saying a huge thank you to all of those who who have signed up already and have pledged on our Patreon account. So people like Joanne, Jane, Moshka, Eli, Don, Dan, Ron. Um, I want to thank you guys for signing up and, and pledging and supporting us as we try to grow this show. Um, if for those who don't know, we do have a Patreon page set up where we're posting... Um, exclusive content. Basically, essentially what we're doing is we're doing two episodes a week now, um, or we're trying to get two episodes a week done. And uh, one episode is going to be on the Patreon account, so you have to pledge and, and go there to get that. And then the regular Tuesday show is what you're listening to now. So we're, we're essentially doing the two shows every week, just trying to bring more content and more stories and more perspectives. Um, we're doing a lot of interviews on the Patreon page. So if you want to check those out, go ahead. Uh, you know, for as little as five bucks a month, you can check out those interviews and that exclusive content. So you know, show your support if you want to see the show grow and you want to see us get out to more communities and get more stories out there. Um, that's a great way to do it, and it helps us out and keeps us advertisement free, um, which I really don't want to ever have to do is go to advertising. Uh, it's I listen to a lot of podcasts and it gets really annoying. So with that being said. Uh, I wanted to start off tonight talking about a little portion of the federal budget. And I know we've been talking about a lot of numbers lately, so for those of you who are not math-inclined or not uh, numbers-inclined, I apologize. But um, there's a little part in the federal budget, and it's not specifically for Métis, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate this back to Métis. Um, so the federal government has set aside money for right-to-play sports programming. However, they have not set aside the money for the Aboriginal Sports Circle. Now, if you don't know anything about the Aboriginal Sports Circle, it was that it was established in 1995 by Rick Brandt and Olympic gold medalist Alwyn Morris, and I hope I didn't say that name wrong. Uh, the Aboriginal Sports Circle's vision includes the creation of a national systems that systemically include Aboriginal people and organizations in strategies, initiatives, programs, services for improved outcomes for all Canadians. So that's a big, big goal all relating to sports and, and things like that. Um, now, that's an, that it's, it's organized and, and it's run from an Indigenous perspective by Indigenous people with an Indigenous, um, you know, um, lens, I guess you'd say. So the government has set aside pro, uh, funding for that in their new budget, in the 2018 budget. However, um, most of that money is going to go to non-Indigenous organizations there is an organization called Right to Play. And it started offering indigenous communities in Canada a, a program called Promoting Life Skills in Aboriginal Youth, or PLAY for short. PLAY is being offered in 85 First Nation communities and urban indigenous settings and is designed to enhance educational outcomes, improve peer-to-peer -peer relationships, increase employability, and improve physical and mental health amongst aboriginal children and youth which again is a very lofty and, and wonderful goal. Um, 
However, this is not an indigenous organization. This isn't even a Canadian organization. This is an international organization that does this throughout the world. So I'm sure their programs are great. However, when it comes to the TRC calls to action, when it comes to the government saying that the relationship between indigenous people and government of Canada is the most important relationship, and all this talk about reconciliation, and all this talk about all these things like that, and all these big buzzwords, here we have an indigenous organization running programs trying to get um, youth engaged and, and, and bring um, indigenous youth into sport and create these systems to, to allow them to play sports and do things like that. And I'm sure they have phenomenal programs. And they don't get the funding, but an international organization who offers eh, sort of similar programming um, is offered the vast majority of the money to come in and basically do the same thing. So again, you have non-Indigenous people running programs for Indigenous people, and they get all the funding. And this all strikes me, this kind of all goes into, uh, we talk a lot about reconciliation. What does that mean? What is it, you know, and all these budget numbers are great, you know, $500 million over 10 years for housing and all these things. But these are, it's the things like this, is when you get into the stories like this that you read about this stuff and you think, Okay, like, you're giving money to a non-Indigenous organization to run Indigenous programs when there's an Indigenous pro organization there. There's a Canadian program uh, organization there. So why are we not giving the money to Indigenous people to run those programs, to run programs for their own people? And that, I think, is, you know, the big th theme of a lot of what these budgets and policies and and laws and things like that do. I mean, we've talked about the gun laws on this show. And when the government was is deciding on these gun laws, are they deciding on them with Indigenous input as to how this will affect the Indigenous community? Are they looking at it from that perspective? And I don't believe they are. And I think this is another example of where, again, there's they're not. And it's so clear in this case, because you have an organization that should be getting the money. It's already there. It's been set up. It's not exactly new. I mean, 1995 for me seems like yesterday, but in reality, that's what, 13? No, it's like 23 years ago. So, you know, like, um, and that's the, I, I think that's the overlying uh, theme of this budget is this is how they hide these things. And they talk about a good game about, you know, relationships and all these things, but they don't. They don't actually do this. Um, so there's been, you know, some other things that I, I read about this topic is uh, there's also been numerous researchers who have argued that sport development initiatives uh, can reinforce colonial structures and fail to account for the differences in local cultures, context, customs, especially when delivered by outside organizations. These are independent researchers that have found these things to be true. So... Here you go. You're giving money to an outside organization who will they take into account local cultures, local customs, the, the difference between, you know, Blackfoot and, and Sutuna, um, the difference, you know, in, in these, even though they're in the same geographic area, there are differences. Is this, uh, is this program, this right-to-play program, is, is it going to take that into account or is this just pan-indigenizing? Is it just another another way for them to make a, a ton of money and deliver meh, mediocre programs? 
But like, again, they're reinforcing colonial structures. Uh, and so, and then on top of that, you're taking away from the potential for the fact that, hey, maybe there is indigenous jobs that could be created through these programs. If, uh, if uh, the Aboriginal Sports Circle got all of this funding to run these Aboriginal programs, would there not maybe be a need for them to hire people, to run the programs, to train people, to bring people in? So, again, you know, we're not... I don't really feel like we're looking at these things through an Indigenous lens. We're not really looking at what's best for Indigenous people. We're simply looking for what's a flashy, flash-in-the-pan... Uh, what grabs headlines? Well, we're giving eight hundred a million dollars a year to Aboriginal sport, but to a non-Indigenous um, organization, uh, you know. So it's and I think to be honest, the actual number is is a one and a half million dollars over four years, which isn't a lot actually, with an additional two million from private sponsors. Um. And so that's how much this right to play program is going to receive. Well, uh, the Aboriginal Sports Circle, in comparison, received eight hundred thousand um, dollars to offer similar programs. However, that was in the past. With the new funding, they might not get. There is no, nothing specifically saying that Aboriginal Sports Circle is getting X amount of money. Um, and so, you know, that's that's. I, I think it's. I, for me, I just wanted to highlight this as an example of where these budget numbers are great, but we got to start really looking at them and saying, well, yeah, but let's dig into that a bit. Because there's just saying, oh, we're going to give $3 million over the next two years to sport, ab- indigenous sport. No, nah, that's not really true. Okay. Um, so when they say, oh, there's $500 million over 10 years for housing for Métis people. You know, is that really true? What is the actual number we're going to get? Is it really true? Is How is it going to shake out per each organization? None of that is in the specifics. And none of that is in the news. And so we don't really know. And that's where I think we got to start asking questions and being critical of these budgets that sound great. But are they? Um, and on, I, I said I was going to tie this back to Métis. Um, now, I'm, I'm sure that the Aboriginal Sports Circle does is more than willing to include Métis people for sure. But I do want to point out that, as far as I know, there is no Métis um, national sports program like the Aboriginal Sports Circle um, being offered by any Métis organization nationally. Uh, there might be small programs run provincially or even locally, maybe, but there's nothing on a national scale. So that's my kind of my tie back to Métis people is, you know, th- there's these programs out there, and Métis people either are not being involved. Uh, the organizations, because of politics and whatever, they're not getting in there. They're not involved, and it's it's another way that we're, I guess, in my opinion, kind of failing our our youth in in some ways. And so, you know, if the government's going to put this money out there, it it for indigenous programming, it should go to indigenous organizations, and there should be Métis programs in there. Now, maybe Aboriginal Sports Circle has Métis programs or could develop them if they got the funding. Who knows? But um, anyways, I'll move on from there. I thought that was a good example of just how critical we need to look at these budget items. Um, And I mean, that's like the really tiny, tiny, tiny drop in pin drop in the bucket of federal funding. So I can't imagine how many, you know, details there are to when you start getting into the half billion dollar amounts. Now, 
I want to move from there to talk a little bit about Métis housing. So I was kind of tying that into the half, half a billion dollars over 10 years for Métis housing. And uh, again, that sounds wonderful. And I, I really truly hope to God that our Métis communities start to see that in their communities. Um, I, I hope that we start to see uh, communities like Conklin actually get the housing needs that they have addressed, dealt with, um, and and not not just dealt with, not even just addressed, but actually fixed and repaired and improved so that their future outcomes are better. Not just like, oh, let's patch it up for now and hope we can make it through the next four years. No, no, like, let's deal with the housing situation so that in 15, 20 years from now, we're not dealing with it again. Um, so those kinds of things. And I truly, truly hope that's what happens with that half billion dollars in over 10 years. I'm not confident. So then we look at the... So it goes from the Canadian government down to these Métis organizations. You know, you guys know that I like to call them the cartel. You guys are the Métis Nation organizations. Um, and we need to be critical of these organizations because they're receiving a, a lot of government funding. A lot. Now... The Métis, Manitoba Métis Federation recently posted an advertisement stating that they have two brand new houses for rent in Selkirk, Manitoba. But their rent is, one is $1,002 per month and the other one's $1,065 a month. I'm really not sure how they calculated those rents. Like, who rents for $1,002 a month? But both are, no, parent, no pets are allowed and they're open to all applicants. So, this is housing open to Métis housing open to all people. And there's two trains of thought on this. So I understand as a Métis organization, you want to have income. You want to kind of generate your own economy so that you're not so reliant on government funding. Jason and I are very big proponents of that. Absolutely. Totally would encourage that. However, <laughs> in this case, it's kind of tough to say that when you know, and I know, if you've been listening to the show and you listen to the Conklin episodes, at least here in Alberta, uh, and I'm sure that there's communities in Manitoba that are in, in situations where they could use some housing funding, that there is a lot of Métis communities that really need some quality uh, housing um, initiatives and programs. And so, you know, when, they're, when, they're, when they have these brand new houses available to rent for, to anybody... It's just kind of a, a kind of a kick in the teeth to those Métis communities that don't have adequate housing. Looking at this, going, okay, well, but you're my, supposed to be my government, my organization that's supposed to take care of us and look after our best interests. And all you're trying to do is generate more money. Um, in 2016, the Manitoba Métis Federation was quoted in an article uh, talking about a multi-million dollar business deal with the Chinese investors uh, that would lead to higher quality housing for Canada's indigenous people. Uh, the agreement between the Federation's construction organization, Métis N4 Construction, and Chinese housing developer, uh, Jingdong Industrial Corporation of Beijing, will bring in a new green technology and build and repair homes for indigenous and remote northern communities, MMF President David Chartrand said. I think it's a great opportunity to solve housing needs and issues and costs and also environmentally with a green focus. Chartrand said, adding that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was on hand to witness the signing of these agreements. So, 
Okay, let's break that down a bit now. So here you, uh, and we started off, we got these two brand new homes available to rent to anybody because we need to generate money. But two years ago, we're signing deals to, which is great, again, I'm not complaining about signing deals, to put their construction company to work to build houses from 18 northern communities. And I'm not sure if those ever got built. I'm not sure what's been done with that. Um, but I do know that I think the cost of building two houses in Selkirk, Manitoba that you could just rent out to anybody could have probably been dropped into some of those northern communities that maybe need the housing. So rather than have generating income in Selkirk, Manitoba, maybe you could improve the housing situation um, in one of the more remote northern communities in Manitoba. Um, so those are my thoughts on that. And, I mean, I'd love to get your guys' input. If you want, you know, send us an email at metispodcast at gmail.com. But, you know, I, I think it's I think it's really sad and it's very disingenuous to, to have these houses where you they have paid to build these houses and now they're going to rent them out to anybody. And not just Métis people, anybody. Um, while there are communities within the Métis Nation homeland that have condemned housing, don't have adequate housing, people that are living with no running water, no heat, no electricity, and they're trying to generate more revenue. Good, like, this is what frustrates me to no end. How do these organizations say that they're trying to, you know, uh, take care of their people and do what's best for their people? How is that best for their people? Um, okay, so if you have these two houses, you can... Couldn't you have built houses in, in northern communities or communities that needed housing? Couldn't you build those houses there for your people? Um, couldn't you have improved houses that are there? Couldn't you have done renovations to houses that are there? Um, I don't know what the price of the construction was. That, that was not uh, published, but come on. I mean, these are, these are the kinds of things where I just shake my head because I think, my God, there's people out there that are, that are aching for help and you're trying to generate revenue you're trying to build homes and rent them out to anybody while your people need homes and need home renovations and need programs and initiatives um so i just i just think that's a really sad outlook or well, not outlook a sad um a sad situation i think that's a sad way to to go about doing business and then of course you know i have to say at the end of the article, to name drop the Prime Minister for being there, being present in the room when you were signing these deals. Like, who in the hell cares? Ought to be honest with you. Who in the hell cares? So what if Justin Trudeau's there? Guess what? Lots of people have had their selfie with Justin Trudeau, too. Um, you know, he's gone hiking and interrupted people's weddings. And, and, you know, there's a lot of things that Justin Trudeau does. Nobody cares. He's not that big of a deal. And if you're so tight with Justin Trudeau then why are your people still living in housing, having housing issues? If you're so tight with Justin Trudeau, uh, why is it uh, you, you, you have the issues you have? Why are you having health um, issues and things like that? Like, eh, we, you, you can't just name drop the prime minister. It's ridiculous. So I just, I, I shake my head. I wring my hands of that. Um, I just think it was ridiculous that they're renting houses while... There is Métis in the Métis Nation homeland that need the housing, that need better accommodations, that need running water and heat. 
and they're in northern communities. They're not in like the southern communities where it might be warm most of the winter. They're in northern communities um, where they're melting snow to have water. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And all these guys talk about is multi-million dollar business deals and renting properties and multi-million dollar this and hydro deals and millions here and millions there. My God, when do your people get to absorb some of these millions and see the benefit of it all? Um, so that's that's my take on that. Uh, I, you know, tonight's going to be a little bit shorter podcast just because Jason's not here to throw in his two cents. And I know he would have loved to throw in on both of these topics so far. So, And then one of the last things I want to talk about was, uh, you know, last week we talked a bit about the Métis Nations of Saskatchewan's meetings and their Roberts Rules and their very colonial structured meetings. Uh, and we talked a little bit about their budget. Um, where, or we talked about budget numbers from other, co- other nations, other provinces. Um, but we didn't have their numbers yet. So... I recently was able to get a, or see some of the numbers from the budget that was passed. Uh, this is the budget that was passed at their at that big colonial meeting they had. So I was able to see the numbers, and <laughs> you know it, it's absolutely amazing. So they got a, I think they had a five, yeah, five point four million dollars in revenue. Okay. And when I looked at that, I thought, well, that's a, that's a pretty sizable amount of money. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good things you can do with five point four million dollars. And apparently, paying wages and having meetings is really what we're going to do with that money. Because wages, between wages and meetings, uh, 58% of the entire budget is chewed up just in wages and meetings. So, me and Jason were talking last last podcast about how, you know, there's technology out there where you can, like, FaceTime people. Um... I know a lot of corporations have uh, board meetings with their satellite offices in another country with, you know, a TV screen in the room and they're able to video conference across international borders, in, in across oceans even. God, I know it's amazing. I know it's like revolutionary technology, but it does exist. I swear to God, it's not just sci-fi movies anymore. And yet these guys... <laughs> they're going to spend $1.1 million to hold meetings in one province of Canada, in Saskatchewan. So $1.1 million in meetings. On top of that, their total wages and benefits for their employees is coming in at about two, little over $2 million. So in total, you got about $3.1 million. No, yeah, $3.1 million of wages and meetings. Which just blows my mind. Uh, Again, I go back to, you know, there's people that actually need services and programs. Where's the youth programs? Where's the cultural programs? Where's the anything programs? You're going to chew up 60, almost 60% of your budget on wages and meetings? How is that even sustainable? How is that representing people? I'm pretty sure that most people would look at that budget and say, you have got to be kidding. You're going to spend a million, over a million dollars to hold meetings in, within Saskatchewan? 
what like how are you getting to these meetings in limousines um it, it's it's really not that big of a province really <laughs> um you know it, it's it's not the like if you were in none of it maybe uh you know northwest territories and you had a, a lot of flying time to do i could see that but it, you know it's saskatchewan it's like it's not much bigger you know alberta's not much bigger than saskatchewan and it's ridiculous to think 1.1 million dollars just for meetings um then you look at their wages the top 5 employees in the in that organization make $570,000 in 5 employees five, that's right a half a million dollars for 5 people so you know i i don't i don't know how these the people that are in these organizations can honestly say that that they're there for the people that they're there to do the best they can to represent their people and i get you got to pay wages i'm not again i'm not saying everybody should work for free but i am saying that you got to look at this and go okay listen we need to start offering some cultural programs we need to start offering some sort of um you know, let's get people into school boards. Let's get educational programs going. I mean, for even if you just take the wages and say, okay, fine, pay the wages. $2 million for wages. Um, for, I think, in total, I think it's 14 people. Um, but take those meetings. And why do you need to spend that money on meetings? And this is like when we look at the other provinces and their budgets, and we look at them and we see how much they spend on travel. And I just, I am floored at how much they spend on travel. It's like four or five thousand dollars per day, seven days a week, fifty-two weeks of the year on travel. Why? Again, can you not video conference? Can you not FaceTime? Can you not? I mean, <laughs> uh, spend the spend a half a million dollars on technology, and you'll save yourself over the course of five years. You'll save yourself a million dollars a year. Well, holy, let's plan ahead a little bit. But you know what What this really boils down to is, is I think Jason might have even said this the last podcast, but it really boils down to um, when times are good and there's a government in, in Canada that's willing to pay and spend money, oh, we're going to pay wages, we're going to have meetings, we're going to travel. Oh, man, we're just going to get it all in while we can. And then when there's a government of Canada that maybe is starting to cut back and not pay those things, um, a lot of times are tough, you know. And uh, we just uh, we can't get out and talk to our locals. We, uh, you know, we just can't do that. So if the budget drops down to three million dollars a year instead of five point four, well, you know what's getting cut? A little bit of the meetings, not the wages. Wages will be last. A little bit of the meetings and. Uh, Probably the wages for the local representatives will get cut. But I'm guessing those top five employees probably aren't going to get their wage cut a whole lot. Um, and it's things like this that I think should drive everybody crazy. You know, people I, I do get people out, you know, why are you always always condemn, coming down on the Métis Nation? And my simple answer is because they receive public money. They receive taxpayer money to provide services to their people. Um... For the last seven or eight years, and I'm going to use Con I'm going to keep using Conklin as an example. For the last seven or eight years in, in Alberta, 
the president of the Métis Nation of Alberta never set foot in Conklin. And it wasn't until we brought the story out, until the story came was starting to get more and more publicity, that suddenly now they're going to pay attention to the housing crisis in Conklin. Um, but what happens? So, okay, let's say they bring in a program and they start delivering housing. And then we have a change in government. And the government cuts back and all that funding is gone. Um, what happens then? What happens? What happens then? What happens with all that housing and all those good intentions? And the truth is, is it goes away. And and that's the reality is, is that the people then will again suffer. In the meantime, though, we've spent, you know, $5,000 a day on travel that maybe could have been spent to bring all that housing up to speed a lot faster and get it dealt with so that when funding does get cut, it's not the people that have to suffer again. And that's the sad reality of these these numbers. When you're talking $1.1 million in meetings, um, that is just an abhorrent waste of money on meetings. My company that I work for, which is almost a billion dollar a year company, um, doesn't probably probably does not spend one point one million dollars on meetings. Um, it's just that's and and you know <laughs> it's ridiculous. So I just I find these things infuriating. I find them frustrating because to me this is just I see one point one million and I go you know what. Why don't you shave that back to about 250000 which I think is still luxurious and a lot of meetings, and then spend the rest of that money on people, on programs, on your youth, on sport programs, on a national sport program. Um, making it easier for Métis people to move around within your homeland and maintain their rights and benefits. Uh it just and I'm only thinking like, like I'm sure that there's smarter people that are out there than me listening to this podcast going, what about this program, this program, this program? And you know what? There's a there's a ton of programs you could do for you know a million dollars a year rather than have meetings to talk about programs you should do. Um, you know, and and the wages themselves. I mean. Why is it the top five employees have to make almost $600,000 a year? I don't have a clue. Um, you know, the, the colonial governments use this as an excuse when they when you look at a lot of the government, the high up government management type jobs, uh, running healthcare and stuff like that. These, these managers, these executives always get paid like grotesque amounts of money with huge bonuses. And they always go, well, we got to attract them out from the private industry. And... You know, Métis organizations do not have that excuse. There is no reason to be paying somebody, you know, $140,000 a year. Um, cut those wages back to a reasonable living wage, to a reasonable wage. Because, again, this is covering also covering their expenses, their travel, their meals, um, obviously their meetings that they have to have. Um, so let's let's start... They need to start looking at this stuff and waking up to the reality that, you know, just because they're in power doesn't mean that they just won the lotto and they're going to ride it out for the next 10, 15, 20 years and hopefully build up a real nice bank account for retirement. That That is not the purpose of of running this organization, of being, in, you know, at the top uh, management of these organizations. But all of this goes back to the structure itself of these organizations and the very colonial structure that they are. 
they are not built for delivering programs and services to people. They are built to be a colonial structure to benefit the few while the rest suffer. I mean, that is the way our government works. That's the way provincial governments work. That's the way municipal governments work. Huge red tape, huge bureaucracy, huge amounts of money just wasted. And nobody can really point the finger where because it's so confusing to try to figure out. Um, but at the end of the day, they're very colonial structures. And <laughs> their, their whole purpose is to basically spend money. But it has nothing to do with delivering programs and services. So this is, you know, this is, I think, you know, hopefully this is the last we talk about the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan for a while. And I'm not picking on the people of Saskatchewan, the Métis people of Saskatchewan at all. I have met some absolutely wonderful people out in Saskatchewan, some amazing people. We did a couple road trips last year. We're looking at doing another one out this year to Saskatchewan. Uh, phenomenal people. Uh, some of the nicest people I've met. And so this is not a reflection of the Métis people. This is a reflection of a very select group of people who are out there for themselves. They're not out there to serve their community. They're out there for themselves. Because you can't stand in front of me or, or come back at me later and say, well, Darcy, no, these people are there to serve their community. If they were, they wouldn't be spending $1.1 million on meetings when they see other people that need help, when they see their community and their people need that money for other things. So come up with a way to deliver those other things and not spend $1.1 million on meetings. Um, and, you know, along with this, again, back in, in Manitoba Métis Federation, they're out there um, talking about all this big money that they're going to get for, fun, for housing, you know, the half a million, or sorry, half a billion dollars over the next 10 years split between six organizations. So really, it's not much money for housing. And what are they doing? They're excited that as soon once the money starts flowing in, that they can start to have um, meetings and take it out onto the road to their constituents to find out what do you want us to do with the meat money? And this is <laughs> sorry, this is just mind-boggling. Okay, so. We have these people making huge amounts of money in wages, running organizations, supposedly representing Métis people, supposedly there to, to benefit, their, to work for their community, to be, be the leaders within their communities and really give of themselves to their community. So much so that they have absolutely no clue where that housing money needs to go, what the priorities are. So... I'm trying to picture this conversation. You're in a room. You're sitting there with ministers from the government of Canada, maybe even the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau himself, you know, who calls me on my nightstand phone. Uh, he Even he might be in the room. So let's pretend all those fancy people are in the room. And then let's pretend we're going to sit down in that room with all of our people because we need 18 people there because, you know, got to get that travel money spent to have those million-dollar meetings every year. And we want housing money. Okay, we want housing money. Well, how much do you want? We want a billion dollars. Well, we'll give you half a million. Or half a billion. Oh, sounds good. We'll give it, we'll take a half a billion. Awesome. What are you gonna spend it on? I have no idea. Really? 
How do you go and ask for money that you have no idea how to spend it? So I, I, I was I was going to make a joke with Jason because he's he's kind of doing some small renovations in his house. <laughs> I say small because I don't have to do the renovations. So <laughs> good for you, Jason. Um, but I'm just trying to picture you know, and not saying he went to the bank for a loan, but somebody let's pretend somebody went to the bank for a loan to do some renovations on their house. Okay, so they go to the they go to the bank. They say, okay, I, I want twenty five thousand dollars. Bank says, okay, what for? To renovate my house. Oh, well, what do you do in your house? Well, I don't know. I just, well, I want $25,000 to renovate my house. Yeah, but, but what are you doing? Well, renovating. Yeah, but like you're putting in a new bathroom. What are you doing? Oh, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Once we get the money, I'm going to spend a little bit of it having meetings with my family and bring in all my friends, and we're going to have a big, huge party at my house um, And because we need the money to have the party so that everybody can have their input on what they think I should do to renovate my house. How's that sound? And I'm sure the bank's going to go, oh yeah, no, that's a great idea. Let's stamp that approved. But that's essentially what these organizations have done. They've gone to the government. They asked for a billion dollars. Government said, no, we'll give you half a billion. Okay, we'll take it. Great negotiation skills, by the way. So they got this half a billion now over 10 years to spot, divided by six organizations or five. I don't know if the MNC gets any of that because they don't actually do anything. Um... Okay, so then, but you don't know how you're going to spend it? You don't know what your priorities are? How in the hell do you not know what your priorities are? Do you not know your communities? Do you not know which communities are hurting the most? Are you that separated from your communities, from your constituents, from the Métis people in your area that you're supposed to be representing? You have no idea what the priorities are? Because that's what they're saying. Um, There's an article... And somebody from the Manitoba Métis Federation said exactly that. They said, we need to, uh, they're looking forward to when the money starts coming in, and we need to take this out on the road and do some consultations. This would be direct with the communities and with the people. Then we could hear exactly what their priorities are. Well, how, what? So, you know, Jason and I talked about this when we talked about, I think, two episodes ago. Or three, maybe. I can't remember. We talked about how this money will be chewed up in administration and red tape and bureaucratic bullcrap and to the point where very little money trickles into the community. And they're promoting this and advertising this as as though this is somehow a good thing. Like, once we get the money for housing... We're going to use part of that money to figure out what the housing issues are. Because we're so out of touch with our people, we don't know what those housing issues are right now. It's ridiculous. Um, and again, the, the fact that they think this is a great thing, that they're proud of this. They're proud that they're going to go out on the road once they get the money that's supposed to go for housing. Um you know, it's been something we're, we've been working on for a long time. It's been something very needed in our communities. We have no idea what communities or for what or how where it's supposed to go, but it's needed. Well, how do you know it's needed? You just ask for money. And the government said, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Because then the government can go to the press and say, we're going to give a half a billion dollars for Métis housing. And everybody involved in this process is going, but what are the, what are the issues? What, what housing issues? I don't know. Talk to Joe over there. He might know. Joe, what are the housing issues? I have no idea. Just smile for the cameras. 
It's kind of like those penguins, you know? Smile and nod, boys. Smile and nod. I think that's really what you're looking at here. Um, is a bunch of people that have absolutely no clue what's going on in their in their communities because there is such a separation. And when they finally do get money to be, do better things and, and to really help out their people, well, they got to spend part of it to find out what it is their people want with the money because uh, that's just just how in touch they are with, with everything. So, uh, you know, a uh, great example of, you know, crap that's going on. Um, one of the other things I noticed on uh, recently on Facebook, and I, I'm going to kind of end with this, is uh, there was a GoFundMe started um, for, uh, I guess there's a fight going on in uh, up in the Lloyd Minster. Um, I don't know if it's on the Alberta or the, I think it's the, the Saskatchewan side. Apparently, somebody who's running the local is trying to, they're trying to push that person out and replace it with somebody else. And this all has to relate back to some housing money or something. Again, the big housing dollars. I don't really know the full story there, so if you guys are online and stuff, you may want to check that out. I'm going to check it out and hopefully have maybe more to report back to you next week. Maybe we'll even try to get in touch with somebody who's involved and find out from their perspective what's going on. But these are kind of, you know, these are great examples of how out of touch these organizations are with their people. Uh, and it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy that people ask me, why do I pick on them? Well, I pick on them like I pick on the can the Canadian government. I pick on them because this stuff is ridiculous. In the in the private industry, in the private sector, if you were to get $5.4 million to make your corporation better for your employees, and you spent $1.1 million of it on meetings, that would be utterly ridiculous. Uh, your employees would be, would be ticked right off. Um, so this stuff is ridiculous. This is colonialism at its finest. Uh, we're fighting to, we're, we're having negotiations to try to figure out our harvesting rights here in Alberta, but we're going to spend four or $5,000 a month on travel or a day on travel. But we still, our, our people still don't have harvesting rights. Like, come on, let's prioritize and put the money where it's supposed to go. Um, I noticed the Métis Nation of Alberta is doing a huge drive, to, uh, membership drive, which is great. Um, you know, they've been receiving millions of dollars for the registry for a long time, and now suddenly they want to make it really easily accessible to people. And, and, and you know the reason. The reason is because the more people they have, the, they're hoping the more of this half a billion dollar and budget 2018 money they're going to get. Um because when they sit down and have their million dollar meetings as a as a quote unquote nation they're going to figure out okay well you have 35,000 members and you have 10,000 members so we're just going to split it up you get more cuz you have more members so i have a sinking suspicion that's what's behind it but hey maybe i'm a conspiracy theorist maybe i need to put on the tinfoil hat and everything just like when we talked about how you know these guys are going to burn up money in the bureaucracy of things and then they come out and say hey we're going to burn up money in the bureaucracy of things as as though it's a good thing. So, you know, I I can't understand how these organizations have r really lasted this long, operating this way. Uh, it's been, in some cases for these organizations, it's been 20 years since we've seen a change in authority. And I don't think that's really truly going to fix the problems of these organizations. I think these organizations are fully entrenched into colonialism. They've fully bought in. 
because it benefits the ones who are in power. Um, and so it's unfortunate. Um, but that's kind of where I have to go tonight. That's all I have to really say about these things tonight. Um, I do want to remind you guys to, uh, if you can, there's a, an event happening in, or an installation happening here in Calgary. It's the Walking with Our Sisters um, experience, I call it, because when you go, it's it's more than just walking around and looking at some vamps. It's actually really, it's really powerful. So for anybody that's going to be in the Calgary area uh, in the next month or so, go check that out. Go look online. Go walking with our sisters Calgary. Do a Google search for them. You'll get all the information. If you're in Calgary and you're listening to this show, uh, go to our, you know, I shared this thing on Facebook where you can sign up to be a volunteer. They're not asking for a lot of time. It's like four hours here, four hours there. You can sign up for multiple. You can do one. It doesn't matter. Um, so they have it all done in shift work. So please get out there and support this. Please get out there and volunteer for it um, whenever you can. They have lots of volunteer positions doing lots of things. I'm going to be this Saturday between 10 and I think 10 and 2. I'm going to be there doing some firekeeping. So I'm really looking forward to it. This is a very important thing, and it's the it's the one and only time it's going to be in Calgary. And um, it's really important we get out and show our support. There is a lot of uh, Métis women that are missing and murdered. And when you go there and you see the vamps and you see how many Métis vamps there are, it is truly heartbreaking. And I'm not saying it's more heartbreaking than all the other Indigenous women. It's just that, you know, as Métis people, we need to find a way to support these things. We need to find a way to get out and volunteer. We need to find a way to go to these things. Um, so it's going to be down in Mount Royal. Uh, I don't know all the details off the top of my head, but I know you can do a Google search. I know you can go on Facebook, look for Walking With Our Sisters, and you'll get all the information you want. Please, please, please get out there and do that. Um, and go check out our Patreon account. Uh, we have some exclusive content there. We have some great interviews. Uh, we just put our third interview up uh, a couple of, uh, last Sunday. We're trying to do some, an episode every Sunday. So that's our, our second episode of the week is Sunday. And Tuesday is the episode that's available for everybody. So go check that out. I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, I would usually ask Jason if he has any final thoughts. But for Jason, for me, um, for this week, that's it. I hope everyone has a great week. And get out there and be a great ancestor. And until next week, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more living in darkness. Our time now is to be light in the world.